0: Good afternoon and welcome to last time series with me, Kevin Briss, proudly powered by by leadershipbydesign.co, leading the charge with insights, information and ultimately effective results. Joining me in today's marketing and leadership segments, as per usual, marketing communications expert and co-host, Craig Paisley. How are you doing, Craig?
1: Kevin, I'm great. Yeah, good to be chatting and uh, most definitely looking forward to the show today because we have a really special guest uh, joining us. So I think you can leave the word expert off my intro because we're definitely <laughs> going to be passing the word expert on to our guests today.
0: Well, I was I was actually looking at at his, at his LinkedIn. And uh, <laughs> I used to say the, the future of work specialists. I was like, when I read that, I was like, oh, this is going to be. Uh, uh, and I mean, like we've waited What uh, We discussed this. Yeah, two months ago almost, Craig. It's yes,
1: yes, yes, and obviously just trying to find yeah diaries to coordinate and the likes. But yeah, very, very exciting build up to this proposition. Yeah.
0: So we've we've been we've been talking about this guest <laughs> for for a while, and finally he's, he's 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 got some time for us. But um. Craig, I'm gonna leave it to you. Please tell us more about today's conversation because I'm really excited to get to us.
1: Great, Kevin. So so our guest is someone that I've been following on LinkedIn for a hell of a long time. Um and 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 the guests thinking and points of view across all facets of the conversation that, that he participates in really resonate with me. And 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 the the greater cohort that that our guest belongs to. Is is something that I follow and actually subscribe to the newsletter. So, with that said, I'd like to introduce Graham Codrington to the show today. Um, yeah, welcome, Graham, and thanks for for making the time to join us.
2: Thanks, Greg. Hi, Kevin. It's great to be with you guys today.
1: Cool, Graham. Yeah, it was quite interesting. I was going sitting here prepping for 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 the show and going like. I actually came across one of your cohorts in London a little while ago when I was travelling, Dean Van Lierven. Um, yep. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I spent spent a few hours uh, with with Dean, um, obviously under the Tomorrow Today Global banner, having a really good chat around strategy, leadership, future, and and innovation, and 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 it was wonderful to have can just sort of reaffirm my interest in, in your guys' space. So, yeah, we, we're looking forward to hearing about that. But what I want to do is before we kick off the conversation, I actually just want to give you the level of, of introduction that you deserve. So, yeah, for, for, for our listeners, Graham's well-known around the world under a, a, a remit of, of multiple titles, a future work specialist, a speaker, an author, a researcher, a futurist, advisor and ceo of tomorrow today global which is the entity that not only helps clients around the world analyze major global trends but actually helps them develop their strategies and frameworks so that these businesses can actually participate and adapt to market disruption in this uh, ever changing dynamic and cool world that we live in today and with a with a range of titles and topics to choose from kevin um i've actually asked graham to share some insights on what it takes to be a futurist and Graham's going to discuss how to think like a futurist and reveal what a futurist actually is in our conversation today but before we kick off the conversation and and if you don't mind Graham, I, I just really want to give you a bit of the the respect you deserve from a um, exposure on LinkedIn point of view so yeah you've been you've been in 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 this future world space for nearly three decades twenty twenty three odd years. Um, and And you've really spent an enormous amount of time as as an author researcher and and a consultant helping these international companies recognize where where the world is going from a business point of view and and what trends are are really influencing our thinking and, and delivery. Um, you are also a director of the future of work academy um, and that's that 's an interesting one for me because obviously that definitely sets a great framework to deliver a lot of the thinking that you're doing in this consultant space with with a lot of the businesses and you obviously came from a good accounting article clerk background and i'm quite intrigued to understand how you went from accounting into this incredibly dynamic futurist space so the floor is yours Greg
2: well craig i was never a good accountant so that's why i'm not uh, one anymore <laughs> let's, let's be clear about that i did articles at at KPMG, but I was never intending to go into that space. I wanted the most amount of business experience in the least possible time. Uh, I always had plans to be an entrepreneur and actually at that stage of my life, in my early 20s, I was pretty convinced that I was going to spend my life working in the non-profit space. I was very uh, involved in youth development and youth work and really passionate about uh, helping young people to develop themselves, doing quite a lot of work with the churches and schools and and all that, and that's where I thought I was going, but I wanted business experience and um, doing work at KPMG seemed to be a, a good way to do that. So that's where I started uh, with the BCom, then went into the IT world, and, and then I suppose in a sense stumbled into the space of future trends and and looking at at, at future studies. And yeah, I, as, as you say, on my business card, on my website, it says futurist. I keep debating with myself about that label because I think some people hear it and then they picture that I must have a caravan with a crystal ball, you know, and I go and sit out, uh, outside the Santum CBD and all the CEOs come down at lunchtime to get their fortunes told. And of course, that isn't what it is. Nobody can predict the future. But what we try and do and i suppose our company name uh says what it does on the tin you know it's tomorrow today and we spend half our time trying to anticipate disruption and and prepare for what could happen without predicting what could happen there are scenarios of what's possible and and we try and help people uh, anticipate disruption more confidently but then we spend a lot of our time thinking about well what is Today's world, like what do you need to do today to prepare for whatever might happen and to build adaptability and responsiveness to change into your system. So it isn't all stargazing and, and, and crystal balls. It's, it, it's very practical and very much grounded in preparing for change. And uh, that might be a better uh, label and a title. But yeah, I, futurist, futurist gets the conversation started.
1: I, I, I like that, but that, that that's quite a deep construct because within that, there's obviously from a leadership point of view, you know, Kevin's Kevin's area of specialisation, leadership and coaching is is you know teaching leaders to be more effective, resilient, agile, et cetera, et cetera. To to then looking at Technology enablement uh, uh, advancements in the business as well, and then looking at at, at at people aspects as well. Yeah,
2: and and that's exactly right. You know, a, a lot of leadership models are based on a picture of leadership, which is the leader who knows where we're going because they've been there already. You, you know, so the 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 sports star who gets promoted to be captain of the team because he or she is the best player in the team. And then they finish their playing career and they get promoted to coach because they clearly know what they're talking about and and, and that's a good model. And that model works best when the context that you're working in doesn't change that much. That's why Uh for a sports star, it, it makes sense because the rules of the game don't change the context of the game the skills required in order to play the game don't change until if we south africans and we can russi comes manage, along russi comes along and says hey guys maybe there's a loophole here and a little you know systems tweak over there i i mean i actually for when i know i'm speaking to an audience who who enjoys their sport and knows rugby you know the bomb squad concept that has basically been the foundation of South Africa's last two World Cup wins. That that was a great example of what I'm talking about, about adaptive intelligence and adaptive leadership. Here's somebody who says, let's try something nobody's ever tried before. Let's let's try change the system, or we see the system changing. Let's adapt, rather than lead in the old school way. And so adaptive leadership, is at the heart of uh, some of the work that we do. And adaptive leadership is a model of leadership which says, what do we do when we don't know what to do? Uh, you know, how do you lead when you've never been where we're going? And there are no maps to the territory. And you can still be a leader in that environment. You You can still be the person who keeps the team together, who helps them make good decisions, who adapts and responds uh, to uncertainty and volatility and change, and but it's a different style of leadership with a different skill set, a different set of, of of tools and a different mindset, and that's really uh, the basis of what we do uh, with our clients all around the world and in every different industry, public, private. Everybody needs, I think, this shift in in attitude because of the world we live in. It it isn't a world that is just continuing. From the past and, and has set rules. It it really needs a different approach.
1: Yeah, Kevin. In, in in light of that, adaptive leadership, uh, you know, as as a statement, it it really is something that resonates 100% in the space you operate.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one of my first questions to Graham as well. Is yeah, <laughs> because I you know I look at leadership and I uh, for me I've become passionate about leadership based on the fact that we know that those who are in positions of influence and power can impact people to a large degree and we see this all over the world um and that being negatively or positively um and you know the book that i've written a- around this is you know looking at what is human behavior when mm-hmm. covid really happened and how is that sort of pushed into that agenda um and one of the very significant points to this book or as uh, we, as uh, people in in any vocation, we have to realize that uh, our values, our reasoning, our human behavior as such is changing uh, to a large degree and quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And for us to be able to lean into that and become more curious about what that looks like, instead of you know going back to textbook nineteen eighties business kind of formatted way of doing business yeah. it does it's not relevant to how we do business today um do you find as you know as a futurist and looking into uh, you know just touching on leadership now that's that that's one of the, the significant points of what business and industry really need to focus on it, it, kevin i mean it, it it's it's blowing my mind at the moment in a bad
2: way just how bad leadership is in mm-hmm. most of of my clients i'll be honest uh, sorry yeah. if any clients are actually listening to <laughs> talking about you guys advanced, yeah. and, and i know and i know i've lost a few clients because I, I i can't help myself i just talk about them in public because like it's unbelievable what they <laughs> do. but for the last 10 15 years our team has used working from home as our like it's a very it was before COVID, a very cool example to companies where we would say, you've got to build a culture of experimentation. You you can't sit down your senior leadership team, sit down around a table, and you all put your brains together, and you'll come up with the perfect solution. And, and then you'll, you'll, you'll build out the business case, get it signed off in triplicate, the, the FD will approve the the budget and and then you implement it perfectly first time that just that world doesn't exist anymore so you have to build a world and agile methodology is one approach to doing it that design thinking is another approach but you you've got to sort of build it as you you know you live in it while you're building it and you build it while you're living it kind of thing yeah and it's a whole different mindset and our example before COVID was Here's an example. Why don't you experiment with letting a few people work from home for a few days a month, see what happens. And, and like leadership leaders would just plutz all over the place at that. No, it's not possible. You can't. The no, diagram, just you crazy, man. Uh, you know, we're paying you to give us real advice here, not crazy mm-hmm. stuff. And we would just say, no, but this is what we're suggesting. And by the way, it's just an experiment. Take your best three people in your team that you know you can trust who are already doing the best work and and give them like one day a week for the next four weeks. See what happens. to see what happens. See what happens. If it's a disaster, what's the worst that could happen, you know, and then we finished. So obviously now we hit COVID in 2020. And suddenly this experiment we've been suggesting for 10 years, the universe says, you know, hold my beer. Let's do this globally. The greatest... (laughs) workplace experiment of human history. It was magnificent. Yeah. And and we knew what would happen. We knew that it's not the perfect solution. We're not saying everybody should be forced to work from home forever. That's not the solution. But we knew that it would work. We knew that people would be fine. In fact, people were more than fine. Most of our clients are super surprised that they got more productivity out of their people, that they got more out of them. But now, this is a long set up for getting back to your point Kevin. So now we after COVID. And what's happening is we've got all of these senior leaders and they are senior leaders. And I'll be honest, between the three of us, we can talk about ourselves. They are mainly middle class, middle aged white men yeah. who, um, who are now saying, everybody come back to the office. You know, I need everybody back at the office. And we say to them, but why? Mm-hmm. Why would that be your your decision making process? And it's like they've learned nothing from the biggest disruption that any of us have have learned. Their main goal is to pretend the disruption never happened and and to just get back to the way that things used to be without learning anything. And now there's a fight. More and more I'm hearing people go, today's young people, they're lazy. Uh, They don't want to work or anything because today's young people are saying, no, I'm not buying this nonsense. There must be a different way to do this. And the old people think it's the young people being lazy It's not and they and they think they'll get more productivity out of people if they can physically see them in the office and they won't and they think that they can only properly lead when they are old school now that might be true but Mm -hmm. they're bad leaders if if Mm -hmm. if they're trying to lead that way so sorry Kevin you, you you unlocked a bit of a rant there for me but but no, for me, that's that's what I'm seeing. I don't know if you're seeing any different, but it, it's really depressing me at the moment. I'll be no, honest. No,
0: I'm so glad that that you know it's coming. It doesn't come from my opinion because I'm quite strong about that opinion, in, as you have said it now. But uh, would you say that that also begs or uh, brings forth the question that um, if you're needing to physically see someone so that you can have a productive yes. company? then you really need to start questioning your own skill as a leader. Absolutely. So, and it's not questioning
2: your skill. Let's be fair. These are leaders who are good at leading. I mean, Mm. most of those companies are good companies and they want to keep getting better. But they haven't realized that there is another way to do it. Mm. Um, And that, in fact, not only is there another way, there has to be another way because the next generation coming in are not going to buy the nonsense. We grew up during an era of nonsense and, and there are books out there that that spell out the nonsense. There's literally a book called Bullshit Jobs. Um, and and uh, I mean, that's literally the title. I don't know how they got it through all the senses, but it gives us permission to say Bullshit Jobs on the podcast um, because it's a book title. But that's the problem. That book perfectly sums up what at least 30% of people are doing in corporates, nothing, Uh, they're filling in gaps that shouldn't be there. That's why people are worried about automation, because they know that most of their work is just repetitive admin work that can easily Mm -hmm. be done by an algorithm. And so they're rightly nervous that they can be replaced. I'm not talking about the laborers replaced by robots, I'm talking about the middle managers replaced by AI. And so there's all this fear in the system, and and the the fear is then resulting in people doubling down on outdated leadership. It's not bad leadership, Kevin. It's just outdated. Yeah. If we were working at McDonald's where nothing changes, and in fact, you don't want anything to change, the yes. burger must be the same it's, that it's always been for 50 years. That's why people come to the shop, because they want the burger to be the same that it's always been. And if you change it, they will complain. If that's your industry, then top-down, authoritarian, let-me-see-you leadership is perfect. So let's not call it bad leadership. But if you're not in that environment, if you're in an environment of disruption and uncertainty and volatility and change and all the rest, well, then that leadership is going to be a disaster. Not just bad, disastrous. And that's the shift that has to happen.
1: So that 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 particular aspect um, really plays nicely into our show of two weeks ago, Kevin, where we looked at the top five um, leadership trends that will actually drive success in 2024. And one of the key it was it was actually trend number four is remote leadership skills. Hmm. And and you know, it, it it references in 2024, remote leadership skills will become even more integral as organizations continue to embrace flexible work arrangements and hybrid models. Leaders are honing their abilities to navigate virtual environments with a heightened focus on effective communication, leveraging advanced technologies and collaboration platforms. Yeah.
2: And so, Craig, this is what I try and do as a futurist, is lists like that are hugely valuable. They, they, they bring to people's minds the types of things that need to happen. People go, yeah, that makes sense to me. I need remote skills. What you need, though, in my mind, is you need a framework that goes around that. Mm-hmm. So a framework that helps you not only as a leader, but as anybody in an organization to say not only what is changing, but also why is it changing? What are the forces the causes the underlying disruptors that are causing this change because what that allows us to do then is to not just respond as the change happens but yes. to get ahead of it yes. and so that's really what i'm trying to help my clients to do not identify the changes and then respond to them i mean obviously let's do that but ideally you want to get ahead of those changes You want to be able to anticipate what might happen. And then if it happens, what are the opportunities that are inherent in that disruptor? Our brains are programmed to look only for threats and negatives. It's that flight or flight that keeps us alive. But again, that's not an acceptable level of engagement in, in the world we live in. We've got to get to that opportunity mindset to say beyond the threats, there are opportunities here for us. And if we can spot those in advance, Prepare ourselves in advance of that disruptor coming. Then, when that disruptor hits, uh, we're ready to unlock the opportunities it brings for us—opportunities individually, as teams, and obviously for our businesses.
1: Just to, to pick up on that, uh, Graham. You know, obviously, we're going to get into 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 the the depth of what it takes to be a future and how to think, etc. But. The the reality is in your organization, you must have quite a strong multidisciplinary set of skills around you, because each organization is inherently structured around its own technologies and outputs, and and a threat in in one organization is perceived as different in another. Technology disaster in one is, is not necessarily a disaster in the other. So you've got to be quite flexible in having this dynamic team that is able to to scenario scope every single one of those potential situations.
2: So, uh, let me use that question to bounce into something practical to leave with people. You guys can see I could talk about this for three days. I'm not sure that's the intent of this podcast episode. So, let, let, let's dive into how do you think like a futurist? And, and I think to make it easy for people, let's talk just about head, heart, hands. So, three things. I mean, there's obviously a lot more. You can study future studies. South Africa is one of the best future studies departments at the Stellenbosch Business School, the Institute of Future Studies there. There are other places around the world. Uh, we, our team is connected with Professor Jim Data, for example, who, before he retired, headed up the Futures Institute at the University of Hawaii. All of our team members are part of the Association of Professional Futurists. So anyway, there's a lot that you could learn and you can spend a lifetime learning it. But let me give you three things, head, heart, hand. So the head is we've got to change our thinking about future trends. We've got to open our strategic imagination to see what's possible uh, in in the future. And there's a whole lot of tools that you can use. Future backwards scenarios, um, uh, ridiculous ideas and so on. I think most people are familiar with that. When they think about future studies and scenarios and Clem Sunter's high road, low road, it's it's yeah. kind of in the system. But you've got to allocate time and develop a toolkit with your with your team to do that. You can't just leave it for chance. The second piece, though, is what you've touched on, uh, Craig, and that's that's the heart. And and I think people are quite surprised when I do work with their teams that I talk quite a lot about leadership, team dynamics unlocking in the engagement of people because you're spot on with what you said there Craig that real futures studies real future focus cannot be done by an individual Mm -hmm. because you have one particular view your experience your expertise your education gives you a particular view of the future you're going to be tremendously lucky one of the world's luckiest human beings if that turns out to be exactly what happens what you really need is a multidisciplinary, multicultural multi-ethnic multilingual multisexual i don't know whatever diversity uh criteria you want to have a look at but the bigger the set of world views that you have access to that help you to think about those future trends that your brain's supposed to think about, the, the better your scenario planning is going to be. And, and so the heart side of the futurist is actually about unlocking the connections between your people, seeing the future of work productivity and engagement. These are not human resources that you need to use and, and, and extract the, 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 the most from. Yes. These are the people that you need to get the best from. And then to finish the story what you need to do with your hands so if we have got to think differently about the future we've got to lead differently with our hearts and with our hands we've got to do things and the things we have to do we've spoken about already we have to experiment more we've got to build a culture of experimentation because that's the only way we're going to discover the future uh, and build it together so that's that's the summary if you've got another three hours we can go into more detail but i think that gives people a heads up to what i do every day um and what i love getting out of bed to do every morning
0: it would be an absolute uh, sin if i didn't ask give us some insights on what are the what are some of the top trends uh holding for the future and potentially for the future of South Africa that's, that's happening in, you know, currently that, that you're starting to notice? If you, if you could touch on that, because I'm sure everyone, everyone's going to click on this to kind of go, okay, let's. I want to hear that. Oh, one, one, why not? Again, with with the
2: proviso that we don't do predictions. So if somebody says to me, who do you think is going to win the election? Mm-hmm. I can give you scenarios. I can tell you what I think is going to, mm-hmm. to happen. But I'm not putting myself up as a political pundit, who will uh, tell you, you know, what percentage the ANC will get, and then you can check back on me later. Uh, but uh, having said that, I, I'm not, I'm not scared to, to put things out there. And when people say, <laughs> I'm often asked, can uh, people say, how good are you actually? This is normally <laughs> when I'm trying to in the sales process with a client. And, and I'm, I'm a bit cheeky when they ask that I say to them, well, I've been doing this for 27 years and about 80% of my clients are repeat clients, many of them almost 20 years long. And in other words, I've done something for them in the past. They then used what I said, and they realized it was valuable and they come back for more. And I don't know if I can give a better CV response to that as a futurist, because that's my job. Tell you what might happen in the future. If it doesn't happen, don't contact me again. Um, (laughs) You know, but 80% of people do so. with the elections, and when I say the elections, of course, there are 72 countries having elections this year, 4 billion people w- with the opportunity to go to the polls. It's the first time in human history that more than half of the world is has the potential at least to to change their government. And almost every election you can imagine is consequential. In yep. other words, it has the potential to fundamentally change the way that a country goes. So Argentina kicked us off last year and and, and put in a very different right-wing politician who's made immediate adjustments. Argentina was about to join BRICS
0: um,
2: and they decided not to, uh, which I think is a fascinating choice uh, for them to make. So obviously you've got the US, you've got the UK, um, you've got India. Uh, huge elections taking place. Of course, there will be elections in Russia. That's the only one I'm prepared to be confident. Putin will win that election. Uh, <laughs> he's just an amazing leader. Nobody thinks he's horrible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, some, things, some things don't need a futurist to predict them. Um, what's likely to happen in South Africa is we're going to go into an era of coalition government. Yeah, I think a lot of South Africans are nervous of that because they've only seen coalition at city level, and that's not been great. But that's not what it's going to look like at national level. Because at city level, the ANC still was the majority party uh, in in, in the the national politics. And if they're not the national, the, the majority party anymore, coalition looks different. And it's actually the power of the small parties because I don't think that ANC will want a coalition with either the DA or the EFF. You don't want a powerful coalition partner. You want a small one. And so they're going to go into coalition with one of the small parties, which means this year, if you're a South African listening to this, your vote counts more than it has ever counted before. Because a vote for a small party that might just get 1, 2, 3% of the vote, that might be the 1, 2, 3% that forms the coalition. And so now you put in place a principled leader that you are happy with, with with very clear, specific policies about two or three things, you might actually discover you can get those things. Now, South Africa is a small example of actually what's happening globally, that that people are finding that their, their small voices are actually hugely powerful. So last year, for example, there were more people on strike than I think at any other time in human history. Not in South Africa, globally. Uh, There were more than 400 declared strikes in the United States. Um, In South Africa, we've got an app that tells us when we have electricity and when we don't. In the UK, they had an app which told them which public servants were on strike on which day. Because the one day the bus drivers were on strike, the next day you could get a bus to the hospital, but
1: no nurses were on
2: strike. And then the next day you could get to the hospital, but then you know, something else was on strike. Um, and so that is just a symptom, I think, of a massive underlying unhappiness with the existing systems. And I think whether it's in politics, or in business, or, or in religion, or, or in just our communities, that the power of the individual voice is coming up and people are saying this, system doesn't work. And and this is not philosophy. This is me being very practical to say politics is chaotic. Business is chaotic. Our societies are chaotic because people are saying there must be another way to do this. Mm. So I, I'm, I'm predicting a lot of structural and institutional r- realignment for the next few years, and that will play itself out in different ways in different industries. From a technology perspective, obviously, generative AI is 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 the huge news at the moment. But the prediction here is linked to my first prediction, because the, the absolute world of pain that we are about to enter into is is not actually a technology problem. It's an authority problem. Who do we trust? Who sure. do we believe? And we can't believe our eyes or our ears anymore. You can't believe that a picture is true just because it's there. You can't even believe a video happened because it looks real. Uh, Anything now can be manufactured. And that's going to cause absolute existential crisis in in our organizations, going to cause havoc in the political environment. But after all the politics has subsided, there are going to be companies who are going to have fake videos produced about them and the CEO apparently saying something really horrendous that everyone wants to cancel her for and then she says well I didn't say that and you say well now who do I trust yeah and I'm really 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 excited because in the next 12 to 18 months somebody's going to solve that problem they will become maybe the world's first trillionaire because it's the biggest problem we're facing is humanity about 25 years ago, a South African young guy saw the same problem. He said, "How do people know that the website I'm visiting is actually the website I think I'm visiting?" And he created a little key. It's the S in HTTPS. His name is Mark Shuttleworth.
1: Mark Shuttleworth, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. By the way, he was the first civilian in space. All these you know, Elon Musk and all these guys last year. We were going to be the first billionaire in space. Oh, Mark Shuttleworth's like guys already been done did you forget yeah. about me <laughs> he's not been one of those billionaires i don't know if he was a billionaire but he made plenty of money 25 years ago and then just carried on doing good in the world and uh, that's the south african way um and I, you know i think we're going to have somebody who comes up with a solution that is very similar to what mark came up with with websites to come up with with information so if you want a specific prediction something around how we trust information, the verification of information. Um, if it hasn't been invented, it needs to be uh, sometime soon because we, we desperately need it. And then uh, if, if you give me the opportunity, I'll throw one final thing in. Yeah. Um, climate change and extreme weather is just going to get worse before it gets better. We, I think we have crossed the tipping point um of of this heat this one and a half two percent thing we're going to have rotten weather hot summers cold winters wetter rains you know drier droughts and again uh, not that i'm excited about that that's going to be a huge impact on a lot of people so for example uh, one of america's biggest uh, insurers a company called state farm insurance has stopped insuring uh, new homes in california and florida because of fire and tornadoes and you just can't get insurance now how do you live in a house that has no insurance for a weather condition that has a 50 50 chance of happening i mean it's crazy yeah um, and so the implications of that are going to flow into banking and insurance and hospitality and travel and tourism and construction and everything else but again over the course of the next decade, we're going to begin to see some remarkable uh, green and eco uh, technology advances and solutions coming. And um, in South Africa, we're seeing it with people just installing solar, for example, um, which is gonna solve ESCOM's problem before ESCOM solves their own problems. We're not gonna need them anymore. And we're gonna have solved that problem and solved a few others. And uh, so I'm, I'm uh, cautiously, but uh, but reasonably optimistic that we'll overcome our political issues, that we'll deal with some of the economic issues, that we'll deal with some of the climate change issues. And I see actually some good news ahead uh, for the next few years.
1: That's that's really cool to hear those points. Um, yeah, and, and obviously a nice build and segue from one to the other. A topic that, that I want to just throw out there and, and really get your point of view on whether leaders are actually believing it, understanding it and applying it effectively is the principle of purpose. And 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 what is the role that that is playing in helping make decisions to make their businesses more agile and, and uh, adaptable for the future? Hmm.
2: So sure. I'm I'm trying to help us keep the time here, but you've asked the question I could I could like, you could flick Go a for story, it, Go get for it. me going for hours here. The other danger, Craig, in the question that you've asked is I I might answer this in a way where you lose all your uh, capitalistic uh, business listeners because I, I don't think the two options are capitalism and communism. I think both of those options have proven to to be insufficient for the times. those were the two options we came up with about 250 years ago, Mm -hmm. both of which said pick me, pick me. This is how we build a better life for all, to coin a phrase. Uh, (laughs) Or steal one anyway. Um, But and and both have failed. And I think actually they have failed for the same reason. The rich people took too much money out of the system, both systems. and, And they were never properly implemented. But Craig, what I think you are saying there, if I frame it differently, you are just describing capitalism. And we've put this veneer of purpose on it so that we can pretend that we're not like rent-seeking slave owners. And I'm sorry to use emotive language, but, you know, most business leaders that I work with, lovely people, lovely people, but if they had a chance, they would pay their people nothing and never let them go on holiday and, and demand that they are shackled to their desks. And, and they can argue all they like with me, but their actual actions indicate that that would be their preference if regulation didn't stop them. And, and that is late-stage capitalism, which, which sees people simply as resources to be used up And and the owner class, the the, the owners of those businesses, take out way too much of of the money. They pay the CEOs way too much for the value the CEOs actually add. um, And they don't invest back in their businesses. And then they put this purpose statement up in the reception area as if that solves all their problems. So I I could have just said no (laughs) to your question. Do Do you think people take purpose seriously? No, they don't. Um, And they should, because I believe that what is a is emerging, and this comes back to everything we've been talking about, what is emerging, I think is a new way. And I don't think it's emerged yet. And I don't think we know what it looks like. But I'm guessing it's going to be purpose driven, one way or or the other. And so leaders who are thinking about how to become purpose driven, are are, going to lead us in a new direction. And by the way, if I were to choose a country in the world that I would want to be located in, to to be on the forefront of seeing a purpose-driven community and business emerging, I, I would probably want to be in Singapore. I'd maybe wanna be in New Zealand-ish, but they've got too many sheep. Um, I would probably think that Brazil is a possibility, but I would definitely, think that South Africa would be in my top five of places it could happen and yeah. uh, that's why i'm here uh, i yeah, have yeah and, and I choose to be here I'm an African by birth and an african by choice
0: uh, for
2: that reason
1: that's fantastic yeah i I do agree with that
0: sentiment Great. well i mean we could we, we could have another two <laughs> hour, probably, clearly yeah, we could
2: <laughs> maybe we do another episode at some stage we need to have you me.
0: back but uh, if you if you could summary or summarize just some of the takeaway points or, you know, and, and kind of give us, you know, what your takeaway message of today would be. Uh, and I know we invited you around future futurism. And but I mean, you, you speak about cautiously optimistic. And I, th- I think the way that you preface that and the way you uh, positioned it, you know, makes us think differently about where we're living, and what we're doing and how we're doing it. Yeah, you could leave, you know, a sentiment, what would that be?
2: I suppose, I mean, everything we've been talking about is what it means to be a futurist. A futurist is not somebody who is just sitting back, hoping that they anticipate what might happen in the future, and then uh, keeping a scorecard of whether they they managed to do that well or not. Uh, a, A futurist is somebody who tries to create the future it's much easier to create the future than predict it and so what we are what we are trying to do is we are trying to work out what does it mean uh, to see change happening in the world and then understand what does that change actually mean in other words what are the disruptors underlying it what's shifting in society and history And on the basis of understanding that, we then are prepared to change our mind about how we live and how we work. And and so my summary is to, to say to people, don't be scared of change. In fact, I don't think that people are actually scared of change. They are scared of change that they can't control. They are scared of change that they don't understand. They are scared of change that takes them by surprise. But it's not change that we are worried about. We 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 all changing all the time. And so for me the message is embrace change, stop feeling like a victim of change and start becoming a captain of the change. And and there's some toolkits and skills that you can put in place to do that. And then use those those skills, use the power that you've got, use whatever influence you have to build a better world, not just for yourself and your own children, but for everyone. And if we do that, we will have succeeded in building uh, the future uh, that we can all live in.
1: That's fantastic. That really is. Yeah, Graham, thank you. The the three stand out for me is, is adaptive leadership, Culture of experimentation, and then obviously, as Kevin referenced as well, you know, cautiously optimistic, and yeah, you know, I always try and look at things in 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 the form of a pyramid, where each one of the corners is is really intricately linked to the next, and if one breaks, then you know the pyramid doesn't doesn't exist. So those would be my three. I love that. From, I love
2: that as a summary. Thanks, Craig.
1: Yeah, that, that's really, really great. And thank you for your time. And yeah, if I can just say to the listeners out there, guys, you know, subscribe to Tomorrow Today Global. Um, it is a great newsletter. They're really the, the conversation is digested in a really meaningful and simple and understanding way. And it can then take you down the rabbit hole into many more areas of investigation. But, but a great newsletter that, that I thoroughly enjoy reading. So worth, worth jumping on to that. Kevin, from your side?
0: The QOT for today, guys, and I think it's it's quite applicable. I wish for a world where people understand that life is short. So today is the time to do big things. And that's from Robin S. Sharma.
1: That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you out, out in the broader world. Thank, thank you, guys. Cheers for now. Thanks, Graham.